Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jiri Love. I'm your host. Today we are recording episode 104. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle of this book is called Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I experienced all of this growing up in Japan, I came to America and I felt compelled to publish a book. But not only that, I felt really compelled to start a podcast, the same title as my book last year. And I am so humbled and grateful that many of the guests came from all over the world. And we had discussed about the adversities, but not only the hardship, but also the tools that people use to overcome and the gift that came from it. So I'm very grateful to introduce tonight's guest, Sujata. Hi, Sujata. Thank you so much for coming into A Gift from Adversity tonight. Uh, The pleasure is mine. So can you introduce yourself to our guest? What's your name and where you coming in from and what do you do? So my name is Sujata Ramteke. Um, I come from India, uh, Maharashtra. Um, I come from a small, very small town um, near to a place called Nagpur. It's almost, um, yeah, I would be overrating if I call it a small town. It's more like a, a small village. Um, and currently I work in corporate. Um, I am into predictive analytics and business forecasting. Do you have any Instagram or website that people can follow? Well, I'm not that active, uh, but uh, I'm. I have my footprints on on Instagram. Um, I'm I'm active on LinkedIn um, uh, for my you know corporate uh, office professional reason, and then uh, I'm also on Facebook. What is your IG handle? Uh, it's S R underscore S U Z Z Y. Well, thank you so much again for coming in. So let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity. So what was your adversity? Um, So I would like to um, start with uh, domestic violence. So while growing up, uh, I have experienced that a lot uh, in the family uh, from my father. Um, We so we have like grown up in, in a very violent, uh, very harsh, me and my, my siblings, very harsh environment um, where we, um, you know, constantly had, um, you know, had to protect ourselves from not from outside, but from from inside it, it, within the house. So uh, my father is a very violent and very angry man. Um, Till today, I think it, it has come down, but uh, still there is. Uh, but um, it, it was for like the smallest of the mistakes, like um, not enough salt in the food uh, to my mom. Um, 
so we used to get um you know beat up um every other day you can say um and it's if it starts with one fam one member of the family for doing like something wrong it would then go to all of the family like if my mom is getting beaten up for something uh something as trivial as not enough salt in the food and then it would uh transpire to to my sister me uh my uncles um so everybody and then you know there is like a this hierarchy like my father would uh show his violent behavior towards my uncles and then my uncles had that anger in them and hurt they wanted to pass on to to somebody else so you know they would they would come on to us and then we would get from both sides like you know from uncles and and from from my father so it was quite a, a challenging atmosphere um uh, to grow up uh with um constantly like um looking out for for one another um and um it, it was so intense um that um it was just not like my father like used to beat up with whatever he gets in hand like a, a rod or 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 a pipe or, or you know anything that he can put his hand on um so it was like constant you know the feeling of like protection like protecting ourselves um so as soon as we used to like hear my my father coming because he had that bike and it would make a sound so we kind of got used to like a particular sound of of my father like coming home we would wherever we are we we would just rush uh home like no matter where we are we would just like run uh to or to our house because if we do not go and our dad finds out that we are not there then we are definitely like getting beaten up so and it was like for for very and the the problem was for no reason like there there has there you he did, didn't need any any reason to kind of show that behavior um he would just pick little things and just you know um get get on get on with with his uh beating and the problem was so if one person is getting beaten up uh the other people in the family would not save anybody because everybody wanted to you know save their own life um so um and then you know if and the worst part was you were not allowed to cry you cannot cry while getting beaten up you have to stay silent because if you cry you're going to get beaten up more so it was like you know suffer in the silence um sort of thing um and then um once like one one incident was very peculiar um so my my younger uncle um he got beaten up to the point where he had to like hospitalized uh, right away um so it was it was very very harsh and um and because of of this all you know harshness and and um this uh, anxiety between everybody no one spoke to one another with kindness like because everybody was hurt inside in one way or the other so everybody just was wallowing in in their own hurt and trying to as much hurt verbally other person who's who's coming uh, who's in the house so somehow everybody tried to pass on that hurt somehow they wanted to feel less hurt than than what than the other person so this this 
kept going on for a very long time, actually. Um, so um, even like when I, I remember when I was um, when I was it was my 24th birthday. And so at my home, we were like we never celebrated anybody's birthday. Um, my parents never celebrated anybody's like their anniversaries or we never went on out on vacation. It's not that we didn't have money. It's my dad was very single minded, like he wanted things this way. So it has to be that way. You know, there is no other way. He he didn't like to go on vacation. So nobody can go because he doesn't like it. And um, so when I was on my 24th birthday, um, after my engineering, I was at, um, you know, with, with my family and it was my birthday. So I, I knew that my friends, like nobody's going to celebrate at home. So I might as well go out with my friends because they called me to kind of, you know, celebrate. Uh, I, I remember I came home a little late, like at around 9 p.m., which is not really that late. Uh, but when I got home, because I was late and I did not come back on the time he told me, uh, at around like 6 o'clock, I have to be home. So because I was late, um, he ran onto me to hit me. I was 24 at the time. So, and then because of fear, I ran out of the house. So he ran after me, he caught me and all my neighbors came out because of all the yelling and, you know, all, all the drama that was going on. And he beat me in front of all my neighbors. And I was 24. I was so embarrassed, so ashamed um and when when i was like younger you know younger than like 24 when i was still at my parents house um before my um college um i i remember i used to tell my grandmother always that i want to get out of this hell and when i go i would never come back here but i do go to them like i have my mom and my sister who i want to meet so but yeah it was very intense um and because of all that, I grew up as a very angry child because I had so much anger uh, that inside I knew that I was kind, uh, but outer, I was so angry outside and I wanted to keep that shield on me so that, you know, I, I believe that if I had that anger, because my father had anger, no one could touch him, right? So I said, if I have anger, no one will be able to touch me ever. So, you know, that's the, that in, in a weird way, I looked up to him, you know, that he has anger, so he has power, right? So if I have anger, I'm going to have power. So no one is going to, you know, treat me bad if I show my anger. So uh, that actually affected my relationship with my friends. So growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends uh, because, you know, I, I never used to like get along with people or my friends. Um, I, I, I used to talk to people, but I never let anybody like get very close to me. Um, so growing up, everybody has, you know, their best friends, right? I don't, I, I don't have a best friend growing up because I never let anybody get that close to me. I used to play with them, but I always had this wall that I would not, not let anybody cross. And if anybody 
comes that close, I would show my anger. I would lash out because that's what I have been like seeing in the family that you lash out. And that has been, that was, I carried that anger for a very long time. And then when I started realizing that that's not really the way um, to go. And if if I do this, I'm just going to destroy myself. So until that wisdom came to me and until that, uh, until that point, I, I had that in me and it has affected a lot of things in my life. Uh, right from, um, you know, relationships to an extent, um, right from like how, how I perceived the world. Um, so that has uh, been a very, um, you know, very unpleasant experience of my childhood, which um, I wouldn't say I want to forget, but there, because there is no way, because it's very difficult to to explain it to somebody what you feel when you get beaten up. You, I mean, people who get beaten up, they know how it feels to get beaten up. And the the worst part of it is, it is my father made it look okay. We were taught that it is okay to get beaten up. And that had a severe, severe effect on my sibling's life because we were told that it's okay. And at at a certain point, we did believe that it was okay. It was okay to get beaten up. And it was showed to us that it is their right to beat us. And, and when, when my, my dad used to be in, a, in good mood, he used to kind of proudly tell stories of how he almost beat his own mother for not giving food to him. And he said it very proudly. And, uh, and we had to laugh, right? <laughs> because we wouldn't dare not to laugh. So it was, it, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. Um, but somehow it, it you know, it, it transpired in, in the worst way to my, my sister's life because she got married, right? Um, she got married at the very early age of 21 and she has seen all this and of course arranged marriage because we wouldn't dare to fall in love at that time. Like it was not a, a possibility because it, my father would kill me or my sister if he knows that we are, you know, uh, in relationship with anybody. So we kind of kept to ourselves. Um, so she got arranged marriage and um, unfortunately she got married to the same kind of person as my father was, even worse. So, and on the eighth day of her marriage, uh, her wedding, eighth day, on eighth day, she got beaten up with the belt because she asked him why he came late from work, just for that one question. And my sister, she's, at the time, she was very like a, a, a very, very lean, uh, very, very, you know, delicate kind of person. Um, and she got beaten up so bad. And she was, she felt sick after that. And that poor girl, she thought it's okay. Because it was made us to believe it's okay to get beaten up by your husband. Because my mom got beaten up by by her husband. So she thought it's it's okay. It's, it's part of the deal. It's. It's, it's part of the marriage deal whole, to get beaten up with, with your, uh, by your husband, your better half. 
She never told anybody. She kind of suffered in silence for almost eight months. Um, and when she came back to see us uh, on, on one of the festivals, she told my mom that she, you know, he uh, beat her. And my mom didn't tell my father. She kind of kept from him and told, um, directly confronted uh, my brother-in-law saying, that's not right. Um, you know, she can take it. And my mom said, she's not strong enough to take it. So, and then um, these events happened um, throughout. And after two years, when my sister couldn't take it, um, and in one of my like family wedding, so my sister, uh, so my sister was having food um, and it was like hot plate. And my brother-in-law came out of nowhere and he took that plate and threw that plate on her face. That hot, like hot food on her face. Um, and after all that drama, like my sister told my father that I don't want to go to his house. Like I, I, I don't want it. She was sent, she was slapped and sent back that saying that this is, if it is not happening every day, then it's not really that bad. So in order for it to be really bad, it has to happen every day. That's, that's the criteria that, that my, my father had. So and my sister then struggled with her life for 12 years in her marriage. And in 2015, when it was, she was beaten up to a point where her face like swole and, and she couldn't live in the, in that house, in the same house, um, that she, it happened at night and she slept through it at night, like all night to somebody, a neighbor's place, like somebody else's place. And then she called in the morning that this has happened to my mom. And then my mom got there and took her home. And, and since then, like she's, she's at home, um, still in the process, but it's, it's like, because she believed that it's okay, she suffered. And when she couldn't, she couldn't even, she was not even given chance to, to say that she can leave because she's going through so much. And this is not just my story. This happens in India so often. So often, especially in, in the less, uh, I would not say like less metropolitan cities, but this is a story you would hear very often. This, this is a problem. And the, the thing is, people say that some people would argue that addiction is one of the causes, like alcohol addiction. My father doesn't even drink alcohol. So he's not under influence to like say that he's not like, you know, in his sane state of mind. It, he is in sane state of mind and he's doing with all the, you know, all the mind in place. Everything is in place and still doing it. That means it's on purpose. It is on purpose. It, it's not just under the influence. It's on purpose. And you are made to believe that this is all fine. This, this is all okay, uh, which is definitely not. 
that's that's one thing uh, the the violence uh, the other thing that I really want to point out is um, the harassment uh, in the neighborhoods. Um, so when I was growing up, um, I kind of like had a tomboyish personality um, and very outgoing. So I would get harassed a lot uh, with with the boys in, in the neighborhood and no one would do anything about it. And you see that the the older people in the neighborhood are standing there but they would not say anything to to those guys and if you complain it's like you must have done something it's not their fault you must have done something and it's not until only like in my childhood even when i was in new jersey this this harassment and in in this this guys they they don't harm you physically, but they look at you from top to bottom, like as if you're not wearing anything and they would comment on every part of your body and they would make it in a way that you can hear it. And they would, you feel embarrassed, not them, somehow. It should be the other way around, but they make you feel embarrassed, but not them who's saying it. And the other incident was when I was in New Jersey. So I went to, I I was going through a lot, uh, which I will talk about. Uh, uh, I went to this temple uh, and you won't believe uh, the priest, he harassed me. The chief priest in that temple. uh, And in the, so the temples, they have the policy that they don't even, um, touch the shadow of a woman they don't even touch the shadow of a woman but in the background they can go ahead and harass uh you know people uh who come for prayers so i have experienced that both during my childhood and even like in and that happened in 20 2018 in new jersey um so yeah harassment is um something that um, was really, really bad. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is um, the discrimination. So I come from and I come from a minority, uh, underprivileged community, and I have faced discrimination at uh, various levels. Um, when I went to college um, for my MBA. Um, First, I was discriminated because I was from a small town. Um, I did not dress uh, as the city people. Um, And the other thing was, um, so I was even called untouchable by by one person uh, in front of all the people, all of my friends who I just met like, like a month back. And I was called untouchable. And, and that really made me wonder, like, I'm in the same college as you are. Uh, I can tell I'm much smarter than you. Uh, and still, I have that tag. You, you, you call me that. As, as a human being, you should not. But that was a very devastating experience. It took me a long time, actually, to, to you know, get out and actually face that person who, who said that 
and that person said that in in front of so many people and it, it was just not it, it, i mean i felt like a, you know uh, i i was frozen when i heard that i i just froze at at the position like i was in i i couldn't move because it was such a uh, you know harsh uh, thing to hear that someone is calling you untouchable this is this is not, like not what like 1800 what are you, what, what are you you know saying it, it was so difficult for me to process that that somebody has said that thing it took me like almost like months and months to get out of it and kind of concentrate on my studies during um, and in that time uh, like during that time fr frame i fell into fell in love with uh, with with a guy in my um, university um, so you know we had a relationship um, it was going well and in India, I don't know if you're aware, but from last name, you can tell the community they belong to. So, or, or the caste they belong to. So even if you don't say it by, by you know, on the face, just by the, the last name, people can actually make it that what community you belong to. So, um, this guy, he he was um, supposedly, you know, from from a, a better community, uh, privileged community. Um, so, um, as long as it was fun, it wasn't serious. It was okay to have relationship with a woman from an underprivileged background. But as soon as things start to get serious then it was a pushback like oh because you are from this community i cannot do it i i my parents wouldn't allow it because you're from from a particular caste and um despite that i kept that relationship going on for like 5 years every year it was i'll talk to my parents about next in next year i'll talk next year and then at one point when I confronted uh, his parents, like family, they said mean things right in front of my face uh, about my upbringing because I'm from a particular caste. And that took such a toll on my life. Uh, you know, the five years relationship that I had, it was so much exhausting and when I understood that, um, you know, this is not going anywhere, uh, because no matter how much educated I am, no matter how much professionally successful I am, I am going to carry this tag always, and there is no way out of it. So, and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. And at one point, I started hating myself. That's the worst part, that I started hating myself, that why I have to be from from this community, you know why 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 this has to happen to me? If if I wouldn't have, I would have been at such a better position, or you know I would have had a life that I want, like uh, having a family or getting married to the guy I want. Um, but it's just it was a wrong thinking, you know. Person should accept you the way you are, not based on the other. And these criteria doesn't even matter. You know, 
the castes should not even matter. First, the, first you have to see it as you are a human. That person is a human. Nothing else should matter. But what that did was I started hating myself. It, it has, it created, and because of this constant badgering of you're not from this caste, you're not from a privileged caste, um, you know, you, this cannot work. I started having issues on my self-esteem. I started considering myself like very low at one point that, okay, if bad things are happening to me, oh, okay, maybe I deserve it. Maybe, um, I was even told once that I was born in this community because of my past life karmas, because I have done something really bad in my past life. That is why I'm born in this life, in this caste, to suffer, basically. So, um, yeah, it took toll. Um, so my depression journey actually started from there. That those now that I look at that time, like I was not so matured enough to kind of understand that it's a depression. But now when I look back, it started from there. But I had this strong will to success and do something with my life. And I was I was growing up, I was very ambitious. Um, you know, I always had, um, you know, a longer vision. Like I, I was a visionary. I, I used to vision myself like doing something great. And I still do. So that ambition actually kind of, you know, build that wall. Uh, against that depression it it didn't it, it was there but it didn't let that touch it so my ambition kind of kept me going so um then I uh, came to U.S. um you know for for my education um and then <laughs> the same thing happened like I I had a relationship the same cycle uh, when it was fun, it was fun. But as soon as you start getting serious, the first question came was the caste that my parents don't approve and of this caste and I can't do it. So it was difficult. It was very difficult for me because I was thinking, okay, first thing that happened. So I educated myself. I empowered myself. I came all the way to America thinking that it won't happen here. Right. I would not be judged on on my background. Um, but sadly, it did. So I thought, like, now, where do, where should I go? Like, where is the path? So whatever I could do, I did. Right. Getting from getting out from India. So I told you, right, I'm from a very small town. Statistically, it's not possible to come out of that town in America. I am the first first girl who came for education from that town. It is such a small, remote place. You won't believe I'm not being, I'm not in touch with my mom from last two weeks because there is no internet connection, proper connection in 2023. So you can imagine how backward or how small that village or that place is, right? So it is. So now I have done like I, I, I did where what what I am supposed to do or what I thought is is right. I came to America. I I did my studies, um, you know. I, and by the time I had a you know quite a good professional, uh, you know thing going on. Um, I was getting successful, and so I have education. I'm professionally successful. I'm in America, and why this happening? 
it is still happening. Like, what is the way out? Now, now what do I do? To remove this badge, what am I supposed to do? So those questions haunted me for so long. They haunted me so long. They put me in depression. Like, that is where I actually... Uh, experienced what depression is. So I carried that from my first relationship back from India from that five years. And then because I had that again, that kind of trauma of that five years, because I was emotionally abused a lot in, in that relationship, because I was said really mean things. And um, when I carried it here in, in this relationship, it broke. And for nine months almost, um, I went through depression, anxiety. Um, I started having suicidal thoughts. Um, but still, I had my strength. You know, I had a strength in me. Somehow, I was able to cope with it. Because I never took a day off from work because you have to go to work. Um, I I started with my, you know, um, the other things where I couldn't, I can wrap my mind, like meditation practices. I got involved into a lot of things, but I still had my strength to carry on at that point. It, you know, I, I, I gathered myself together, put myself together, and I went into third relationship, considering third time will be a charm. But you won't believe the same thing happened. It again came to the same thing. And after that, like... And, you know, all of these um, super charming thing, uh, stratospheric promises that were made, suddenly it just left a void in my in my heart. And that is when I actually fell into depression, like a full blown depression, what you call I fell into that. And when this happened, actually, for almost a month, my mind kind of it wiped out all the memory that things have gone bad. And I, I kept doing things without shedding a tear, you know, no tears. I was going to office, even like I was more active. I used to get up at four, go for a run as if nothing happened. I used to run like six miles every day and uh, come back home exhausted. And then slowly, you know, you, you go through all that stages, right? When you go denial, oh, things didn't happen at all. You know, your memory just like mine just blocks it off. And then start slowly it started sipping in. And then actually uh, for almost like two weeks, I couldn't eat. So nothing would go down my throat. Like not even a, a slice of bread. It was so difficult for me to eat something. Um, and then I kind of consulted my friend who's a doctor. And then he connected me uh, to a psychologist. And when I talked to a psychologist, uh, I was in a, such a bad condition at the time um, that he said that if you don't start taking pills, you're losing your motor skills. You won't even be able to brush your teeth, like as simple task as brushing your teeth would be difficult for you. Um, and I, I went to therapy since then. I, I like almost for like two years, two and a half years. I did a lot of therapy, like different kinds, actually. Um, I started a um, lot of work on my, my emotions. So a lot of that happened. But these were like the main events of my life that like defined uh, my journey or you would say defined me uh, 
in a lot of ways. And if this wouldn't have happened, I, I, I think my life would have been totally different. Well, there's a comment, um, live comment, um, Polvish. It is very brave of you to share your family's story. Ah, thank you. Yeah, it, it took me uh, some time. And it, yeah, it, it does. Like, you know, I was skeptical uh, initially of whether I should say it or not. But um, I thought it's it's just gonna, you know, my friend, one of my friends said that it's it's going to, it, it's going to heal you. First of all, thank you very, very much for sharing your story. Just like you had a doubt in your mind that when I published my book, A Gift from Adversity, the section that I wrote about my father's sexual abuse, yeah. I was doubtful how much I should type. And I was shaking and I was crying. And of course, I relieved everything. And a lot of domestic violence survivors, we would never forget the feeling. And I'm so heartbroken for you. And I feel the pain. And I still remember the time that my dad grabbed my head just when I complained about lunch or whatever, just the smallest thing, and pounded on the desk. He kicked me to the wall. And I thought I was going to die. When he took a break, I ran to my friend's house. And he caught me. And he tried to punch me. And then my friend's family tried to um, prevent that from him. But it gets worse and worse and worse. And there's no way out. And I've seen not just towards me, but then my grandpa beating up my uncle. And I remember begging him to stop kicking him. And I remember losing my voice the next day. And I was a child, probably like third grade. And I remember I went to school. Why can I not talk? Oh, I screamed and cried and begged to stop the domestic violence. And obviously, when you're a kid, you have no idea and then when you are in a small village, like you um, you told, I was raised in people of 4,000 in a town, in a village. Everybody knew everybody. Um, my heart shudders every time I hear domestic violence, sexual violence stories, and I cannot stand it. And I'm so grateful that you decided to come on my podcast and then speak out about it because wrong is wrong. Yeah. You know, you and the audience to know even one hit or punch to your face or stomach, any part of your body, it's an assault. Yep. It's not okay to violate that. And as you said that your father made it sound like it's okay, my dad did the same thing. And he even manipulated the teachers and then said that I am ungrateful daughter, not following the order. 
when he was sexually abusing me and then physically abusing me. So I am so sorry that happened. So I just want to really not only sympathize with you, but really proud of you of how you came out from it and then be able to talk about this. It is such a crazy thing to talk about it. I remember 20 years ago when people say, even the word father, I started to break down to tears. I would have never imagined that I would publish my book. I would never imagine that I'd be talking to you on podcast. I would have never figured out what was going on in my head because I had zero education about this. And as far as the cast and Untouchable, I don't know if you know, the Japan had a cast and it was in Edo era and it's Shino Kosho, which is the samurai is on top, samurai Mm. is the top tier. And then the farmer is the second and then Ko is like business and then show, uh, sorry, engineer and then business. So then there are four cast in Edo era in Japan, but then they made this buraku, which is the untouchable. Mm-hmm. Now that exists in Japan. And then one of my sister's friend, when I was probably 19, 20, she had kind of like a gathering and then she came up to my face and then told me, you are so lucky that you can marry anybody. I can't. And I didn't really understand. Um, but there is like a secret meeting of this untouchable people. And then somehow my father's village had a area where it was the people who were um, pushed to, like near the mountain where the untouchable lived. Somehow, my mom was telling me that my grandpa, who died before I was born, um, researched before she went to marry my father, found out there was an area there was untouchable in the history, not right now. So he was against for my mom to marry my dad. Mm. And then like you said about the last name, my mother's side has this samurai last uh, name in the Chinese character. Mm-hmm. My father's side has this farmer side of the last name character. So that can tell like what you say. And it's less of the stigma in Japan for sure. But then I did meet somebody in my age group that mm-hmm. they were still suffering. And I have no idea how to combat this. I have no idea how to get rid of this history and stigma at all. And also, I just want to share with you about discrimination and prejudice against you as a human being, not as, um, you know, somebody who has accomplished a lot in education and a career. Same for me. I'm Asian female. I I have probably published over 500 articles and checked maybe over 6.2 million words. Still, like recently, 
like even this week somebody say do you speak english can, <laughs> no can you speak english not even do you can you speak english do you work at the nail salon and i'm like no i, I don't even know how to do my nails it's ridiculous but um even like nine years old when i was at the cafeteria serving lunch came to me and started to tell me like ding dong ding and mm. i don't know what that means so it's massive amount of prejudice no matter how you're educated how you look so i can totally understand and i'm very very sorry yeah and the you know the thing is um people who have never been discriminated for them discrimination doesn't exist and they will tell you and most of the people you meet here will tell you that the caste discrimination doesn't exist in india it does it does in villages in in small places it is evident you can point it out but in metro cities when people say oh it exists in the in the small uh, towns but not in the metros they're wrong it exists in metros but it is so subtle it is so under the table that you cannot even point it out if you cannot point it out how are you going to say that you were discriminated because you know there is no way to say discriminate only the person who was discriminated knows he's he or she was discriminated but you cannot say it out loud because they do not keep any proof of it and this is a very pressing issue uh, in in india and lot of people you will hear you if you go and search there are so many articles there are so many articles up on this um if like a a, a marginal uh, background person goes to a temple they get beaten up they get beaten up to the death um lot of so i asked i um said about harassment right so you will hear a lot of this brutal rapes lot of it in, in india a lot but the rapes that happen to the underprivileged women they are not even reported rapes happen rarely for the privileged women but if they if it does it, it's bad it's bad if it happens to anyone but if it does it gets reported it gets taken action on but when it happens to an underprivileged women either they are burned their bodies are burned at 2 a 2 am in the morning they are never covered by the journalist if the journalist tries to cover it they are killed on spot uh, or they are put in jail so, and these are very recent events in india these are very recent events so and and, and the perpetrators never get punished because they are always from from the so called like a higher caste like a privileged uh, privileged community and and this has been happening for so long so long and this thing is happening from thousands of years from like so early like very early so they had this uh, a custom uh, that whenever an underprivileged woman marries uh get gets married on the wedding day she doesn't go to her husband's house she will be taken by a man from a privileged society 
and keep her for three days, use her, um, sexually use her, and then after three days, he will be marked, she will be marked actually uh, on her head saying that she is used already. Now she's available to use for her husband. Now she can go to her husband. So this was a tradition like years back, hundreds and hundreds years back. But how is it different now when, when the underprivileged women are getting raped? How is it different? So this is a, a very broader issue uh, to discuss, but these are some of the you know very horrible atrocities that some people go through. It is just so crazy. I read a book, Last Girl by Nadia Murad, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, whose Yazidi tribe was genocized and by ISIS. And Amal Clooney, George Clooney's wife, is representing her to fight against ISIS. And then Amal was saying that in order for ISIS to be persecuted, the point is that the idealism would never die when people will get away with this crimes and sex trafficking and rape and massive killing. So she's fighting against ISIS saying that if you see your bosses getting try getting on a trial in international court and getting prosecuted and go to jail and stuff, that that's how you you know, kill the idealism of it's okay. It is not okay. And it is not okay that your father and your sisters has been laid hand on you guys. And it is a crime. You know, there was a, a news, Rudolph Giuliani, New York former mayor, was yeah. just, just tapped on the shoulder, the one, like the store, and then called his comeback. And then he got charged for like assault. And then that guy went to jail. That is how much of the privilege that this country can have that I wished even like an ounce of it that these women yeah, me too. <laughs> could have when they are like technically beaten to death. Yeah. And how can you be silenced? And it, it like angers me so much because I've seen mom getting beaten up in silence yeah. since I was four. And I had been beaten up by my father and I could not say a word. Yeah. So I am so sorry. So Jata, I want to switch our um, question to the tools that you use to overcome. You kind of mentioned some of it, but I want you to understand that a lot of people who have never experienced this significant trauma would easily say, go get a therapist or whatever. So yeah. I hate that when people say, as a survivor of domestic violence and then all this harassments and everything that you went through and now you are 
here in America, knowing your human rights and what's right. What are the tools that you can share with our audience that you used that worked most? So the first thing was when I wanted to get out of, of India, the first thing that would put at least, you know, my mind at ease was education. Like to educate myself, I concentrated on, on my personal growth. And uh, this came from the very fact um, that um, I was um, I was always surrounded by the idea of, of um, you know, education. Education plays a vital role. Um, and um, Dr. Ambedkar, actually, uh, who was a social reformer and who wrote the Constitution of India, he has served um, um, under underprivileged communities um, during all of his lifetime. He dedicated his life um, to serving, um, you know, fought for the civil rights of the people. So he always said, um, you educate, organize, and then fight. And that is what I did. Like, that was my first tool. Like, I have to educate myself, uh, go to a position where I am empowered, and I'm in a position where I'm able to empower other people. So first thing was getting into that position and then fighting it. So that was the sequence that the first tool I had was, was education. Uh, the second thing is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, when I was into like, I started having these thoughts uh, of like suicide and uh, from 2018, actually, I started going into meditation. So it brought a lot of awareness in me. Um, people who have not done meditation, they would actually argue like how would sitting alone in silence would just solve your problems? Uh, well, it doesn't. But it gives you a mindset, a, you know, a perspective to look at those problems in a different way and actually try to see the opportunities in, in those, uh, you know, in those problems. So I did that as from 2018. It was by accident, actually. I was so, uh, you know, like so down and it's so depressed that I, I just Googled it like, uh, you know, monasteries near me. So I, I just went to one of the monasteries and I happened to meet this monk. And later I trained uh, with this monk for more than a year. Uh, and then that actually kind of, you know, helped me a lot, um, you know, making more of, aware of my thoughts. It improved my conversation with myself. So the quality of conversation that I had with myself, it improved dramatically after I started getting into meditation and, uh, you know, um, starting paying attention to what I'm thinking and what I'm talking to myself. Um, so that improved a lot with, with, with meditation. The other thing um, was um, I actually looked for a good support system. I, I built a good support system. So I reached out to people who would understand me, which I was very reluctant uh, earlier. I told you, right, I, I grew up very angry. So I carried that anger for a very long time in my life. So I didn't have lot of I had a lot of friends but I didn't have a close friend so I kind of worked on that after I started into meditation I met a few people who I'm till date I'm, I'm very very close with like the first person I would call is is 
within that like you know those two three people like whatever happens good or bad so i i build that support system around me i try to talk to people who are wiser than me uh who who are at a position where i want to be um you know spiritually so i i got involved uh you know spiritually more um building this support system the other thing was um i really you know kind of looked at my life like following my interest i started thinking on like what i really like to do so following my interest redefining myself rediscovering myself and um actually acting is one of is the outcome of one of that uh, self discoveries i had that i wanted to because so when i was 15 14 15 i had the dream in my mind but i was so focused on my survival you know at the time survival was the most important thing that i had to survive forget about the dream it it it's it's not even there even if it's there it's like back of the mind subconscious i don't know where but first thing is survival how do i get out of this place so so much of my time went into that and then um after i got out i got educated you know this flurry of like really bad relationships one after another so i never got time to actually think what i really want in life and when i when i got out of this uh, really last relationship and i started you know thinking and looking into myself i do i that those dreams that i had when i was 14 15 it kind of came back and then i started like you know uh, since like almost last year i started uh, enrolling into like acting classes and you know going into auditions uh, because it it makes me feel good you know this is something i really want to do and finding that interest and you know that was my passion but what was the like a game changer was finding my purpose you know all this meditation that i did since from 2018 the purpose that i found for myself that was very um you know very um enlightening i would say uh because that actually pushes me every day to pursue my passion so for me my purpose uh i have made sure that so i made sure that i write it on the paper like word by word what exactly i wanted to do i want to do i want to achieve my goal i want to be so visible and at that level where i can reach out to every child who is in those settings that i grew up in that small town that information deprived place i want to reach out to that every child and tell them that they can dream they can dream and they have to dream and dream so big that people should laugh at you because when you achieve those dreams those are the people they are going to tell other people proudly how they met you so that is where i want to reach i want to show that every child that that is my motive behind this acting because i know movies have power films have power because when there was nothing in my hometown like nothing at all there were still movies mm-hmm. right there were still films there were still tv shows so that is one medium that you can reach to each and every corner of this world and i specifically want to reach out to to those children and and just be in a position where i have achieved my dream and making them think that it's not only possible it's probable they can do it so that is my whole purpose of of getting into you know this film business so that interest actually 
was very important like you know that was one of the tool that i used to like keep myself motivated because when you go through so much forget about motivation getting up from a bed is a herculean task every morning you know i i still till date i would not say like 100% of my days are beautiful and i'm always happy but some days it does take you know lot of energy and lot of motivation to just get out of the bed because you have been through so much you're mentally emotionally exhausted and it it takes a lot so keeping yourself motivated reading good books has been always been a you know uh, an a, a very you know they say that books are your best friends they are they can teach you so many things and if you read good books it it, it just changes your life you know um i believe in the power of prayers i i have always believed in the power of prayers um i i saw this interview uh of bruce lee uh when he said um don't ask for a easier path ask for the ability and the strength to walk on a difficult path so i always pray that i should have a strength so so whatever comes along i should have strength ability and i will add to it the patience so be- because i come from that background i have i had anger it is i have to take one extra step to be not angry to control my emotions and i have to work hard than other people because things might happen and the trauma might take trigger for me if i see lot of yellings i instantly i go back to my childhood thinking there was so much yelling at home there was always a fight between my parents so if i see someone getting beaten up i automatically go back to my my childhood so i have to take i have to be very precautious like you know uh take very small step but i focus on continuous improvement like i improve take small steps but improve every day and be consistent with it so you know those are some of the tools that i think have helped me a lot to get out of it but thank you very much it just breaks my heart it just completely i can relate to you so much and then thank you so much for reading my book too yeah i i completed your book in one day actually so my highest record is 4 days which is uh, the book uh, the monk who sold his ferrari i read that book in 4 days and yours is the one that i read in one day so i know one thing about myself that if i have enough motivation i can do anything well thank you so much that's so nice of you um i really i really admire you and then i really appreciate this conversation and um I just want to let you know and the audience know what you just shared with us in this podcast today about domestic violence and the harassment and caste and prejudice and then you still have these tools that you discovered and then keep it going and acting and filmmaking and then putting out a message and I love what you said about educate organize and fight and then I never had that kind of advocacy in me but then 
when I look at myself right now, I'm 46 years old, when I was beaten up in a small village like you in Japan, I would, I, I would have never thought that I would be covering hard news for one of the most prestigious newspaper as a journalist. And I will be filmmaking, award-winning films and being Oscar-nominated films with my son. I'm going to Emmy in June with my son. Yay, congratulations. Thank you. And um, getting interviewed, having my podcast, being um, on an amazing platforms. I serve as advisory for Women in Film Video New England. I'm really trying to use my voice to bring awareness to not only domestic violence, child sex abuse, homelessness and bullying, but also diversity and inclusion and how can we take off these biases and live in peace. And that's what I'm doing. Every words that I put out there and then the privilege that I have as Asian female news reporter that are allowed to write hard news, I would never ever take for granted of every single word that I put out there. So I just want to share that with you and our audience. The time has definitely changed, but we still do have a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. And like what you said, the children in back in, in in India who are still getting beaten up and the man and father whoever I don't want to use this word like MF they they just need to know that it's not okay and they are born from women which pisses me off that exactly. <laughs> they don't understand where they're coming there where they came from that what you are beating up a child, a woman, that is where you came from. Like, why would you do that? So it's really interesting phenomenon to me that like, you know, why would you destroy your house where you came from? That's what the man's doing to us. And it's not okay. And I hate it so much. And I hate writing sexual assault stories. I hate people reaching out to me that my kids are assaulted, sexually assaulted. What should I do? I hate this so much that I don't know how to stop it. And then I think what we have to do, what we talked about here, it inspired me a lot about educating, organizing, fighting. And that's really amazing thing. And I would have never imagined that I would have voice, but your voice matters. Your voice matters. And then you sharing the story today is really inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you. So my last question is a gift that came from, from your adversity. So how would you say the gift that came from your adversity so the first thing I would say that I'm very, very grateful is emotional independence. Now I am at a position where I don't need to be emotionally dependent on anybody. Like if a person is angry at me or if a person is, is, doesn't have good intention towards me, it doesn't bother me anymore. 
it made me so strong and it's it's a freedom that you cannot put a price on that thinking that your emotions and your reactions like does not depend on what other person is doing it's such you are in a, such a position of control you know you you have all the control within you 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 don't have to go to anybody or what other people are doing is not affecting you at all that is a position of power and that is emotional independence and you know what every mother especially in india they need to like get rid of this neanderthal conditioning that a woman has to depend on a man emotionally like if things are going well okay but this conditioning that is put by family or you know external uh, your extended families or your society that needs to go away first for people to be emotionally independent no why why people like me has to suffer so much right to get to a point where you are completely emotionally independent so first thing is that 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 came that that's a blessing that i i i i told you right this is a freedom you cannot put a price on it, it, it's it's so freeing it's so freeing that you are you're independent your your emotions are independent you're not only financially independent but emotionally you're independent the other thing i would say is grit the passion and the perseverance that i have right now because of all the events that has happened that is a a wonderful gift because if these not would have happened i would have had the same you know same life um like a um what every every woman has um don't dream big just get married have children spend your life rest of your life looking for your child i'm not saying that's bad but i would not have tapped into my inner uh dream of what i actually wanted you know when i was 15 i would have just get caught up in like okay marriage uh then having kids uh raising them i would have been caught up in that but because the events happened this way now i have that grit that that passion and that perseverance to kind of achieve and go for my dreams and ambitions that i have you know being my own own light like you know uh buddha once said be your own light don't wait anybody to save you because no one has the ability to save you no one in this world has the ability to save you it's you if you look into the whole universe there's only one person who can save you and that is you so that mindset and that mindset came with the with the with what you call the growth mindset you know um i um there is this um angela duckworth i read her book grit it is such a powerful book uh, the viewers if if you get a chance read it it's very good book um so she has like explained how this grit works and um this this that has been like one of the you know the pivotal thing that now i have which i can proudly say that it came out of out of that miserable years that i have spent in domestic violence or you know unhealthy relationships or being discriminated um so i think those are the two things very important things that i i am very proud of thank you so much i really want to echo about 
the marriage and the concept of you have to have men, you have to serve men. In Japan, it's the same. My our biggest goal is to serve men. Our biggest goal is to become the best wife, and it's such a propaganda and such a bad concept. What what has condemned on us as a woman is that because of that the domestic violence is allowed because of that sexual abuse is allowed because of that you have to suffer to the point that you could die but then they don't care because yeah. your goal is to serve a man and you're not worthy if you don't have a man and that is wrong yeah so i really Appreciate you bringing it up. My PCP told me in America, Jerry, it's okay to be single. This is America because I was to the point I was so depressed. But then when you realize it, who put that idea in my head? And what you said about grit and emotional independence, that you don't need to have a partner, especially the partner is abusive you right. don't need that at all you need to get rid of it and you need to move forward and you yep. need to be in a health healthy and a safe place for you to be okay so i really appreciate you bringing it up yeah i mean first thing is like let go of toxic people from your life let go of that toxic mentality you know the the conditioning that we have been we have been raised with yeah, I, I, this is my message to like every mother, every family that don't raise girls with that, you know, delimiting mindset that you need a man in your life. If you get it and if he's good, then it's, it's, it's good, you know, be happy for it. But if it's not, then still be happy. You don't need anybody to be like dependent on if, you know, if you're emotionally independent, you really can live a very happy life by yourself. Very true. Thank you so, so much. I just want to share a wisdom from my daughter who is six years old. I was in bad relationship and I told her about it. Block him, stop talking to him, say goodbye to bad days, say thank you to things that are coming to our ways. Oh, she's wise. She's going to be a very wise soul. I think I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah. yes, but... You're so powerful, Juri. I read your book. I, I just loved it. Uh, you know, as I said, I read it in, in one go one day. And it was so, so amazing. And I'm really proud of you, like how you managed to to be here from, from Japan, suffering from all that. Um, it's really commendable. I'm, I'm really proud of you. And I'm really, really glad that I got to know you. And I really hope that I keep in touch with you for a long, long time. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Sujata, for coming to A Gift from University. And thank you for the audience for tuning in and really being there for us and then listening to this conversation. That means so much. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Bye.